Please note, on this episode of the Territory Story podcast, there is discussion about a story related to child sexual assault. Listener discretion is advised. This is the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan-Nathan and Peter Gowers. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency. Hello there, welcome. This is the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition. My name is Peter Gowers. Leon Logan-Nathan is again on assignment this week, but he assures me now that he's ascended to the throne and the chairman officially of LAW, he'll be back, uh, grace us with his presence next week uh, on the Weekend Edition. So without any further ado, let's get the uh, man that the episode's named after on from the NT Independent Online Newspaper, Chris Walsh, and Weekends with Walshy. G'day, Chris. Hey, Pete. Good to see you. Good to be with you again this week. You too, mate. I feel like um, having Leon will be a bit of a crowd next week, don't you? <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been a while. We're we're not used to it now. Yeah, I know. Well, it'll yeah. take us a while to get our rhythm yeah, back. Of- 15, 20 minutes, I'm thinking. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, man, I've got to say, uh, after last week, we got through the episode, but, uh, yeah, it's been a hell of a week. I'm, I'm still in country Victoria, and, yeah. man, I feel so sorry for many of the people down this way. Yeah, yeah, just terrible scenes down there, but... Yeah, and look, I guess you, you've been fortunate. You're one of the fortunate ones. You've stayed dry. But we are. Yeah, yeah we that's are. good to hear. We but, are. The, yeah, there terrible. is more rain predicted this week, and we, we've had a number of friends whose whose houses were inundated and, you know, they've lost, I guess, their possessions. And, uh, you know, thankfully, everyone's okay health-wise. Uh, mm. But with more rain predicted and, you know, the chances of rivers spilling their banks again, we're just bracing ourselves that it, uh, you know, that it doesn't get to the, the level that it did get to last week. Um, yeah. And just I'd like to publicly say a big thank you. Um, I was actually quite amazed at just how many people got in contact and, you know, checked if we were okay and, uh, you mm-hmm. know, asked how everything was going, which I was, I was really shocked by but, but pleasantly surprised. So, so thanks to all those who did. Yeah, that's good to hear. People looking out for one another. Yeah, Absolutely. in those tough times, you need that. Correct. There was, a, I think I said last week, there was a real um, similarity in some ways with with Cyclone Marcus, and uh, which we went through in Darwin. And you yeah. know, our place, I think at the time, we didn't have power for five days, and it was the same sort of community spirit. Which uh, you know, it, it's great that people pull together at times like that. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, look, um, let, let's get on to the stories because there's quite a few of them this week. And um, yeah. I know you've been doing it tough, Chris, and uh, punching out those stories with, with everything that's going on. <laughs> yeah, it's been busy. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we'll kick off with the uh, first one this week and with uh, Parliament sitting uh, last week. And, yeah. uh, you know, we talked about the fun and games with, you know, the, the CLPs mistimed trying to introduce things to, to debate and chat about. But look, something that did make the headlines and, and still being talked about is uh, Robin Lamley's little comment in Parliament, which officially offended those in Labor. 
Uh, look, yeah, again, you know, I think that everybody was getting tired of uh, hearing Labour complain about that, that they were offended about everything. Yeah. And then, like, you know, just normal, healthy debate could not transpire because Labour would get offended about something. If they were called out for any perceived failure that they had done over the past six years, they would be offended about it. And we shut down. Now, this one hits a little closer to home, I think, to them. Um and and what Robin Lamley said. So last Thursday night, I'd missed it. Um, we talked. I'd seen that she posted something. I went back into Hansard on Friday morning there to pull up what was actually said because she had said that she'd been kicked out. And I thought, oh, well, you know, or, or it wasn't that she was kicked out. She was about to be kicked out or she was told to withdraw a comment. And so she just left anyway. So I went back and I looked at this to see what had transpired. And what had happened was that uh, in the course of debate in Parliament, I think it was Thursday afternoon, uh, yeah, uh, Robin Lamley, uh, it got to a point where, and I remember this, seeing that, and I missed that part, but Lauren Moss, the environment uh, minister, had got up and was ridiculing former CLP environment minister Dave Tolner for his environmental performance while in office. Very easy to ridicule Dave Tolner, and nobody's going to get offended about that. And uh, so anyway, what she said, though, Lamley said, you know, she, Laura Moss was going on about how David uh, screwed something up and was being a clown, an all-around clown. And uh, Lamley yelled across the floor, at least we do not have pedophiles in the CLP ranks. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so there She's you go. tough. Yeah. You want a zinger. One that really hurts because, well, guess what? You know, the court found he's been convicted. She, of course, was referencing former Labour Party secretary and gunner uh, senior advisor, Kent Rowe. This is a man who ran the Labour Party for the better part of the last decade, was involved in the last, um, I think, three elections overall, but certainly credited in 2016 with the victory and again in 2020. And, um, you know, these things happen where um, I guess he wasn't really the person that he presented to be, or at least he had this uh, this dark past and it had come out in court, you know, not too long ago, um, a few weeks ago. Now he'll be sentenced next month. But of course, he was found guilty of six counts of sexual intercourse without consent. It was against a, a, a child, a woman. It's a historical sex offense. She's a woman now. She was a child at the time. Uh, six counts of rape of a child. Uh, so he will be going to jail. He's in jail right now. He'll be going to jail for a while. And I think everybody's just still trying to, everybody seems a little nervous around this whole thing. And of course, you mm-hmm. want to protect the victim in this above all. That, 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 yep. that's, that's paramount that she needs to be protected. <laughs> um, but questions need to be asked. And I think this is what Robin Lamley was getting at here and saying, you know, like, why is the CLP not doing anything? Like, you see how easy they go after the CLP. Labor does for things that happen, you know, quite a while ago and in the previous government, which was 2012 to 2016. Yeah. <laughs> and and look, and she's right. I know if if the if labor, if, if things were different, the CLP was in government right now. And Labour was in opposition and this had happened to CP, they'd be all over it. Oh, well, you hired a pedophile. You let this sex predator run your party. And then you invited him into your chief minister's office to be a senior advisor. Yeah. Um, and it like had personal relationships with everybody in the in the Labour Party. 
uh, deep personal relationships. One of the gang, one of Gunner's lost boys, if you will, um, there's this gang of young guys who come up together in the party who were handed the keys to the kingdom and pissed it all away, you know, um, it, it, it was just general incompetence. I mean, these guys were expected to run the party and do something well. He was one of those main guys. And um, look, this is going to be his legacy. We'll see what it is for the rest of them. But the question that always comes up for me still, Pete, and, and I'm working on this, and I can say that right now, and I'll have more about it because I've been looking into it. The question really becomes, who knew what and when did they know it? And you're looking here at things that have transpired. We know, and look, I, I, I'm i not going to get into it right now, but I do have further information on that that we're going to be exploring in, a, in probably a series of pieces. Mm-hmm. But one of the things is that, look, there were people in the party who knew as early as 2013. There were people in the party who knew in 2015. Uh, it appears that nothing happened at that time. Now, 2016, the campaigns run. Ken Rowe plays a significant uh, part in that victory. Uh, he then eventually gets rolled as uh, as secretary of the party after many years. And, um, you know, the left faction came in out of Queensland and got rid of him. At least that was the story, right? And then I go back to things that I heard where somebody said, oh, you know, he got that wrong. He wasn't rolled. He just resigned to be play nice with the left faction of the party. Mm, is that it? Or did somebody know at this point? So 2018, it appears other people found out about this. 2018, he leaves the secretary role. He goes to work for our mate, Anya Lorimer, over at uh, whatever, what's that called? The campaign at Spro, the labor line marketing firm. And uh, he stays there, but it's there that he then, he's still very much politically active with the party. He's running the 2020 election campaign, along with Michael Gunner's brother-in-law, Ryan Neve, who we know was was also running the campaign from Gunner's office. And of course, under investigation currently by the ICAC for those, uh, for that travel spending uh, mm. during the campaign. That, that's I was going to say no-no. booking flights. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. And like signing off on this stuff. So, that there's stuff to examine there, but I think labor needs to. And 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 here's the other thing that comes out with this is that the current chief minister. Now look, the former chief minister Michael Gunner, he resigned. It did the part of this play in his decision to resign? That one of his good mates, who uh, who was who was then one of his most senior advisors until the cocaine sex scandal came, and then Cam Rowe was kind of sacked over that or forced to resign, <laughs> but. You know, Gunner resigns, this guy gets sentenced. Um, Natasha Files is yet to condemn the behavior that, you know, he's been convicted now. We can talk about this. Um, And that might be the shocking part of this whole thing. I mean, it's not hard to come out and condemn a child molester and say, we do not, you know, stand or will not tolerate uh, abuse of children. I mean, this is a no-brainer. This is something that needs to be said. Because the silence then makes you think that, what are they doing? Are they backing this guy still? And, and you know, the other thing about this, and I need to say this because this always puzzled me at the time, too. When the cocaine sex scandal happened, Gunner moved on Mark Turner. Now, I've said this before, and when this was going on, I was telling you guys, the bigger fish here is Camp Row. Now, this is before I knew about these molestation allegations and these child rape charges, but... I was saying at the time, Ken Rose actually like a bigger fisher. He is more important to the party. He's played such a crucial central role in territory labor. He's bigger than a first time newly elected MLA's come in. But for some reason, in Gunner's mind, 
it was more important to go after Turner. And in fact, remember, he took Turner to the party and told the party, I want him gone. I want yep. him expelled from territory labor. And the party um, listened to the youth wing, who basically gave the finger to Gunner yeah. and said, no, we're keeping him. And yeah, he had made some snide comment about these kids should just do whatever kids do or something. And well, he, he really looked like a fool on that because the young labor showed that they had more power than Gunner they did, yeah. by actually keeping Turner. But the question that came up at the time is why the hell didn't he try and get Kent Rowe kicked out of the party? Is that a loyalty thing, Chris? Do you think that because of his loyalty? Well, this is it, Pete. This is exactly it. It's about the tribe. It's about the cult. It's about the right. loyalty to those people. But how far does that loyalty go? And is there yeah. a point where you're told of a horrific crime that you don't say, okay, enough's enough. This guy's done something so disgusting here that yeah. he doesn't bear, you know, it doesn't deserve to be protected anymore. That's what I want to know. I want to know when they all knew it and what they did about it, because I'm telling you right now that they knew about it. I know this for a fact, some of them in the party, and I won't say who right now, but that, that will be in a series of stories that's coming out. They did know about it and it appears they took no action. And why didn't they try and remove him from the party even then? They didn't do it. Anyway, the question then becomes, you know, it gets us back into parliament here where Robin Lamley's yelling that across the aisle saying, at least we don't have pedophiles. Um, what had happened then? And this is, you know, talk about defending people and not condemning it. Maybe that would have been a good opportunity for the chief minister to stand up or somebody, minister mm. for families, let's say, children, and, um, and, and denounce this man. Anyway, the comment instead, Joel Bowden, the backbencher, the guy who's not been given anything, the biggest loser in this whole term of parliament here. Everyone else is given a portfolio pretty much except this guy. And he's even taken away from his deputy speaker role. Anyway, but Joel's, you know, he's a good union man here. And so he gets up and Kent Rose, good union man. So he gets up and he says, I'm offended by this. And uh, he then demanded that Lamley, quote, refrain from speaking like that about any member in this place, let alone the people on this side. I asked her to withdraw. Right. The comment. But I mean, I, I, look, I did see that, and and I saw the the picture and what have you. And I guess my my initial thought was, one once the fellow's been convicted, does it? I mean, I, I, I suppose is it the terminology that she used, or is it the fact that she's referred to that person as that because they they're now convicted of that, right? Isn't, isn't oh, it's that just, a. Yeah, it's an absolute fact. It's been proven yeah. in court. Uh, a jury convicted him. Right. He's in jail right now. He comes back for sentencing, and we'll see how far. But there's, there's, yes, no, he's a convicted child yeah. rapist. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it doesn't get any worse than that. And and you gotta you gotta laugh at the idiots at the NT News who write in every story when they say he's connected to cocaine sex scandal. Oh, there's no suggestion he did cocaine. And it's like, no, there very much was. Right. And let, let me put it out there. And listen to this. A guy who's a convicted child rapist isn't going to sue you for defamation because you said he did cocaine. Right? That's just not going to happen. Mm. It's far worse what he did. Far, far worse. But yet, Labor doesn't denounce it. And it is. It's a fact. This is a fact. This was proven in court. So he gets up. Uh, Bowden and he says, I ask her to withdraw. So Lamley refuses to withdraw. And she says, Look, I'll just leave the chamber. I'm, I'm leaving anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll leave for an hour because I think she'd been kicked out earlier the day before for something else. And um, so then we've got Speaker Mark Monahan, the new speaker. He says, uh, He then puts it on the record. My ruling is that it was out of order and offensive. 
ah. telling the truth. Um, and I will request that the member for Erlewine withdraws the comment when we next have that opportunity. <laughs> so Lamley was then she came, she comes back an hour later. She's debating some other legislation that's up there. I'm not sure if she was bringing something for it then or, or not. But anyway, she comes back in and, and she was then told to withdraw the comment by the speaker before she could participate in the debate, which she then complied with because if not, she's out again and she's got, she's got business to attend to. She's in there for a reason uh, as a job. Yeah. So, um, and to represent to her constituents. So she, she withdraws a, um, just to comply with that. But she then went on Facebook page on Friday and said that Bowden was clearly defending Roe. Joel Bowden complained to the speaker about my comment. She said, defending Roe and the labor team, she wrote, the fact is labor had a sex predator in their midst for many years, holding the most senior positions within the labor party and the labor government. Nothing the CLP has ever done comes close to this abhorrent labor shame. Ken Roe, she went on, Ken Roe, was convicted of sexual assault in jail just a few weeks ago. The chief minister has not said boo about her former labor colleague, but happy to throw dirt at the CLP. So just on that, right, when when I read those comments, there's a few things that, that I thought about. Firstly, it, it seemed, although she's an independent now, it seemed that she was very much wearing her former CLP hat when she made <laughs> yeah. that comment. Kind of. It's funny the way it was it was worded because she could say, it could be like the editorial, or not the editorial, but the parliamentary we. We as this parliament do not have yeah. pedophiles in the CLP. Yeah. So like, because clearly she hasn't been with the CLP since, well, for a Correct. long time, since before the 2016 election. And, yeah. and in fact, Tolner was <laughs> one of the main reasons why yeah. she's not with them anymore. But yeah, I think she just was making the, the point here. Um, that, party versus party. Yeah, and that yeah. yeah, and that the CLP labor would go after the CLP if it was role reversal here. And the other question I had is would it be usual for a party to denounce a former member like this who was involved in you know in any sort of serious crime? Yeah, normally, Pete, the political pressure, the, the pressure from the media, uh, the other political side, they'd have to address it. This is something that's being discussed in the community openly, uh, and everyone knows about this now. Um, yeah. and, and I guess that might even escalate more, ramp up at the time of sentencing. I think it's the first or second week of November. But right. you're going to get to this point where this guy did play such a senior role in the party, in the government, that uh, they are going to have to say something because to remain silent on it, you know, just looks like they're endorsing it or something, this kind of disgusting conduct. It seems very weird. It seems very weird. And and not that, um, you know, not that we want to go down this path of male versus female, but it seems odd that, that a now female chief minister would also not come out and address mm. this. Yeah, and especially one who, you know, uh, who, who, whose government is kind of focused on that very much. Yeah. Families um, and, and against sexual assault. Now, you go back and you start looking at legislation. Now, there was legislation that they passed that, um, you know, that allowed sex assault victims to identify themselves publicly. Yeah. Now, when that happened, though, you know, I, I went back and I saw that story. It came up in something we ran, and I read that story from a couple of years ago, and I thought, wow, the, the uh, proponents for this bill, um, the Letter Speak campaign, it was called. They said it didn't go far enough here in the NT because the, the perpetrator can then, and I think the example was given that four years, a, a perpetrator had served four years and his victim was still not allowed to say what had happened to identify as the victim because he kept appealing that. Yeah. 
And the, the government had changed it in theory, but they still left this appeal process. So this could very much be a thing here with this Cam matter. And then you got to wonder, like, wait, did he have any involvement in this? Like, did he did he tell anybody this is what you should do? I mean, this is how senior a role he had in the party. Right. Right? He was dictating this kind of policy stuff. So that's all very troubling and something that needs to be addressed as well is whether or not he influenced their own legislation on sexual assault stuff. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and look, you know, we, we we get into that. I just want to mention quickly here about the victim that you know cannot be named for legal reasons, of course, and nor would anyone want to identify the victim here. But uh she was allowed to speak in court. And I and I think that this is important. And I think the prosecutor said, let her speak now because this may be the only opportunity that she gets to, right. to talk about it now. And and we did a story about it a couple of weeks ago, and um you can read that for more detail. And, and I just touched on it briefly in this story from last week, but um, the statement that she read, uh, it was emotional at times, as you could imagine. She said um, that she had been made to, to, quote, feel like an accomplice to my own sexual assaults after she had confronted Roe about the abuse in recent years and that the ongoing sexual abuse over many years had left her, quote, scared to fall asleep at night. There isn't any sentence that will give back what was taken from me or rewrite my past, she told the court. Gee, and there's a lot more. Words. Yeah, and, and a lot more just really, um, yeah, just stuff that, that, that that's upsetting. And, and um, mm. some of the details of some of the stuff, yeah, yeah just horrible, horrible stuff. So, yeah. you know, and, and we want. We want justice for her, for sure. And we want her to remain protected and safe and get the help that she needs. Um, and, you know, labor needs to answer for this as well, what they knew when they knew it. And there will be more on that for sure. Well, we'll look forward to the follow-up articles that you're uh, working on at the moment. Let's move to the next story and the other side of politics now and, and the federal side uh, because um, – Federal Liberal leader Peter Dutton's Darwin appearance is now at risk due to a lack of interest. Chris, what's going on? <laughs> well, yeah, now I'm wondering if that happened this week. I, I, I don't have remember, an update for remember you. Remember Spinal Tap, Chris? Remember the movie This Is Spinal yeah, yeah, Tap? Yeah, that's a great one. So when I read this article, it reminded me of um, there was a book written about Spinal Tap years later, and it was talking about the fact that yeah, they went through all these different legal stashes with record companies in the whole the whole bit. And there was a classic line in the book that was uh, Spinal Tap decided to uh, sue their record company for withholding royalties and the record company countersued for lack of talent. <laughs> <laughs> so when I saw the, uh, the appearances at risk due to lack of interest, I thought, oh, dear. What's happening here? <laughs> yeah, and it might be that the members are saying there's a lack of talent showing up. <laughs> we don't right. want to go. Yeah. So, yeah, look, it was one of these weird ones where um, the, the CLP clearly in a, in a frantic position start emailing all members on Friday right. to say uh, that they're having problems selling tickets, that the sales are, are quite low. Uh, currently, the ticket sales are low, and the event is at risk of being canceled unless we can turn around sales over the weekend. Uh, the email from party headquarters said, of course, that was sent to me by somebody who said, you know, you probably shouldn't put in there that you can't sell tickets to the federal yeah. leaders event in case it gets leaked to the media. Correct. <laughs> and then there is leaked <laughs> to the media. Directly to you. Yeah. So, um, so I thought, oh, we better do this and we'll call around. You know, we'll, we'll 
talk. We'll figure out what's going on here. So apparently they're saying, no, no. Well, now they came out and said something. No, no, it's still on. Definitely. <laughs> it's like you just sent this email an yeah, hour yeah. ago. And now you're saying. It's the sale page is bought all the tickets. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And this is it. So now federal opposition leader, of course, uh, liberal leader, Peter Dutton, uh, was coming up to town. It was going to be on Tuesday evening. Now, I've not got an update on that, Pete. I've been busy this week and I, and I haven't checked that that had gone on. I saw that he was in Acacia Hills doing a press conference with Mango people, okay. I think, about labor yesterday. Was it Wednesday? So right. conceivably he was here and he was in Alice Springs Monday and Tuesday. So conceivably okay. he was here on, on Tuesday night. We'll, we'll assume that it did go ahead. Um, of course, it was a fundraiser for the for the North Darwin branch of the CLP. It was billed as, uh, quote, drinks with the Honorable Peter Dutton MP, Senator Jacinta Price and Mrs. Leah Finocchiaro, MLA at the Darwin Golf Club. Uh, of course, you know, um, it was this last ditch effort to the party faithful CLP organizers saying the event was for quote, anyone who is upset with the current government. <laughs> oh, anybody wow, that's broad. Bring your pitchforks. Uh, the, the North Darwin branch are actively trying to rebuild their branch. And it would be great if you could give them support by helping boost their ticket sales for their upcoming fundraiser. Well, we can't imagine that's going too well. What's man. happened to their branch? Why do they need to rebuild it? <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> they didn't get the. What's happened to one the, of the police branches? Did they? <laughs> yeah. Just completely overall with the CLP, I think there's a lot of rebuilding, yeah. and uh, they've decided to scrap the old model and restart. Oh, you know? whatever works. I guess they're adopting labor's policies now. It seems <laughs> that's so. it. Um, yeah. yeah, a lot of lot of rebuilding going on. I think, um, and the party faithful are. are rightfully angry anyway they and on this one i think people i think that was the general consensus on comments was why would anyone want to pay money to see peter dutton talk um he doesn't yeah. really command those kind of audiences he does he's not really popular let's be honest about well, it the, the only reason we had scott morrison as the prime minister is because his own party hated him <laughs> that much yeah, yeah, because yeah, this guy tried to be our prime minister. So, yeah. oh, hold on, Peter, hold on. You're not gonna. The, the yeah, public yeah. doesn't like you. No, we're not, we're not quite ready for you. <laughs> yeah, and look, yeah, I don't see that ever changing for him. And of course, you remember the the Biloela family, the family of Sri Lankans. There, he was uh, played a big mm. part in that, and seeing them uh, put in detention. Uh, yeah. So what else had he done? You know, he'd been around though. I was looking that up. He'd been around former police officer, of course, first elected in his Queensland seat at Dixon in 2001, previously held portfolios in the Howard Abbott, Turnbull and Morrison coalition governments. Of course, we remember very well from the Abbott, Turnbull and Morrison governments and, uh, and what he'd done. Of course, you know, one of these guys clearly on the, uh, on the far right of the party here um, <laughs> with some yes. of his policies and where he likes yeah, to yeah. see the country going. So uh, anyway, for some reason, it didn't seem to be catching on his appearance here. I'm guessing the party yeah. came in and made sure that he could show up and he did his thing. Don't know. haven't heard from anybody since then about how that went, but uh, Hey, he was here local event enjoyed by some, I guess is the headline. I think you want to check first thing tomorrow morning. If, uh, Darwin Golf Club is still standing, <laughs> and uh, that'll tell us whether it happened or not. I've got to say, um, speaking of uh, the former uh, federal Liberal government, they got another gut punch uh, during the week when uh, the now 
Australian government decided to move the, uh, well, agree with um, the rest of the world, pretty much, apart from the US, and uh, and decide that Israel's capital was no, no yeah. longer in West Jerusalem and back in Tel Aviv. So, geez, you know, I, I actually was shocked when I read that because I thought I didn't actually think that that Liberal government did much uh, shadowing of Trump. Yeah. But I, I never realised he moved the US embassy there first and then oh, we yeah. went, said, oh, well, we're not, we won't just move the embassy just yet, but we're going to recognise that as the capital now too. Yeah. I, well, there you, go. you get what you deserve, don't you, Chris? <laughs> yeah, when you're following him. On decisions, yeah, certainly. Yeah, so we'll see. Yeah. I guess, yeah, they're, they're branch rebuilding federally too on the federal level with the Liberal Party now. So yeah, yeah. we'll see what happens. See how it goes. Let's mm-hmm. move to the next story and something we've talked a lot about over the last couple of years. But uh, again, another humdinger. When I read this, I thought, oh, it really does go from the ridiculous to the insane. Now, the NT government have hired the company, I'll say the same company, that mm-hmm. engineered the TIO stadium fire system to investigate its own work. Chris, mm-hmm. please. Yeah, hey, look, this is called the Dipple Special. The Andrew Kirkman <laughs> surprise here. It's double down. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Look, and and yeah, so this stuff was kind of sent around and the comments that were made at at, at estimates that kind of connected to this that didn't, I don't think was recognized at the time of what they were actually saying and saying, well, wait a second. This is this company. Anyway, so somebody has sent this along. There's so there's been this um mysterious email. From somebody calling themselves Frank, who's sending around to, from what I understand, government officials, bureaucrats, elected representatives, uh, journalists, uh, uh, anti-corruption bodies, and police. Wow! Um, all of this, these files. So this was it's one. Kind of the full gamut. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And so this was one. Now, what 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 it showed this document um, was the Cardinal had been hired, had been given this contract back in June. Now, Cardinal NT, now called Stantec, from what we can determine, um, they have been given in 2014, I believe it was, they have the company that came in and they engineered the, the current fire hydrant system at TIO Stadium. Now, that is, of course, uh, the subject of these complaints that happened. And, and we even had firefighters um saying look the pressure's not there they remember the last game they did they had to bring in these extra trucks trucks yeah apparatus to um to ensure that the fire pressure that the water pressure was there should a fire break out and even then i think there were still issues but these are these are so the government knows this right that these are serious concerns being raised by everybody at this point and they turn around and they say okay well well, look, in one way, they're telling at estimates, Andrew Kirkman's saying, oh, we don't have any issue with this. We have no concerns whatsoever. But then quietly, they're hiring, they're handing out contracts to go and check this out and see what kind of rectification works need to be done. But then, it, uh, bizarrely, they give it to the company that engineered the thing that may have caused the problems in the first place. Well, they then let on the tender, Chris? They, that, no, it was that, the select. It was select. Uh, it was select. Oh, That's the crazy wow. thing. They didn't even put it out. It was select. So they just went to them and said, hey, guys, you go investigate your own stuff. Tell us if there are any problems. You know, they have an independent engineer's report that had been done. They told them that there were problems with the water pressure system. Yeah. It had just been done months before that. And then they say, okay, well, that's too independent. 
now we're going to get the guys who actually did it to tell us what's wrong. Holy God. Like that. Yeah. I, I just, I can't believe this. This is just a new low for these guys. And these guys are terrible. Dipple's been bad from the beginning on this kind of stuff. Um, yeah. And, and look, so that's it. Now the department refused to explain why it would hire the company that installed the system to investigate and report back to it. Um, well, they didn't install it, but they had engineered and certified it. Um, uh, about the alleged ongoing water pressure problems uh, and how the department managed the potential conflict of interest there with the company investigating its own work. Uh, yeah, we heard this um, back at Estimates. Cardinal's doing the work, but we didn't know at that point. On the water hydrology, which is effectively the hydrant capacity and the ability to fight fires at TIO Stadium, that work continues through the certification process Cardinal is engaged to look at this, in particular, the water pressure of the front hydrant. It investigated that and had reports back, which will feed into the overall certification of the stadium. So it investigated its own work and then reported back to the government. Uh, yeah, okay. And, <laughs> and um, yeah, we know the firefighters. We, we agree issue. with ourselves. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, what is that for? Oh, yeah, by the way. But, you know, while there is no problem here, give us some more money and we'll go in and we'll fix this. And we'll, but there's no problem. But if you want it better, we can do that. We'll fix the no problem. Yeah, exactly. It's just ridiculous. And I don't know why anyone would feel safe there when with these guys lying like this and the way that they're covering this stuff up. It's just they're not being upfront with the public about this. So, uh, you know, it's have just, they still got the, um, the, um, Special classification that they, that I think they gazetted something earlier in the year to yeah, make it so, usable. Yeah, that's right. So faced with these problems and being asked by the ICAC uh, about what was going on, Eva Lawler, her first order of business is to, while being questioned by the ICAC, uh, just gazette this notice to, to exempt it from, from needing an, an occupancy permit to be right. certified. And just let people in because they knew then that they were breaking the law by allowing people to come in. So they just made it so that they weren't breaking the law anymore, but they weren't fixing it. They weren't fixing the issues, the outstanding public yeah. safety issues, which are more than that. There's electrical issues and some fire escape issues and stuff. Mm. Um, yeah. So they did that and they did it for three months, which tells you then that you thought they, they thought that they could maybe bring it up to code. Uh, and apparently it couldn't because then I think the end of June, she does it again, uh, indefinitely now she can just do that. She uh -huh. made it. So it doesn't require the same certification that other buildings do now. It, it can be uncertified right. and people can enter how she's able to do that. We don't know in good conscience. You wouldn't do that. Um, anyway, anyway, Seems look, something happened. God forbid. I, I, I don't know what their defense is on. I don't know how they, how do they get insurance for this whole thing? Um, because they don't own TIO anymore anyway. Well, well I was uh, going to say, given given the naming rights sponsor on the building, it'd be slightly uh, embarrassing if they couldn't get insurance for it. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. Look, this is just more nonsense on this. I don't know how they fix this, but the the fact that it's you know the cover ups worse than the crime most times, and right yes. now these guys are just in full cover up mode. And we send them questions still. And our great friend, Mark Meldrum, the building inspector himself, uh, he's not saying anything. He's gone to ground over this again. Uh, Andy Kirkman also doesn't want to comment. Went to Cardinal, gave them opportunity to respond. They referred questions back 
to the department who of course wouldn't respond oh, okay it's America, so, <laughs> yeah so they you know you would think that they would come out now stantec and say yeah look here's what we've done here's what we found um anyway they chose not to do that and that's that's up to them that's fine uh they said go go the questions are dipple we don't want to respond so we went back to dipple dipple wouldn't respond um but somebody's going to have to provide some answers at some point here and um let's hope the ICAC's still looking into this doing his job properly because it, like i'm saying these cover-ups are the worst part why are they acting yeah. like this why are they doing this instead of just being upfront with people about it anyway it does yeah, sound a hell of a lot more complicated than it needs to be yeah so there'll be more to come on that for sure um right let's move to the next story now chris and uh Again, this is one we talked about a while ago, but uh, it's a really serious story, and you know it's it's uh, great that you've sort of followed up, and and you know, obviously now that this has got a result, so to speak, that uh, the man who assaulted a toddler through a fence in a Karama front yard some time ago uh, has been sentenced this week. Yeah, look, this was that shocking story that we you know always seem to come back to, and. Um, for all the wrong reasons, I think. Uh, and just to remind people on this, this is, uh, I think it was March 21, March 2021. Uh, we start hearing at the Independent about a, a toddler who had been sexually assaulted uh, while he was playing in his front yard through the fence. Uh, just horrific stuff. And so we're checking with sources. We're getting this confirmed, but we're thinking, well, why the hell haven't the police told the public about this? I mean, this is terrible. This is like, and you know, the people we're talking to are saying, look, even veteran sex crimes investigators are, are rattled over this. This is just just that a stranger could come up, that this guy just walking down the street from, in this case now, we found out a remote community. He's in town, he walks down the street, he calls a kid over and he sexually assaults a kid. Uh, it's just terrible. It's just awful to think that and the, and the horror of that in every parent's head that um, they can't let their kids play in a front yard that's fenced in anymore without being supervised so anyway the, the police don't do that we report on it the police finally do everybody else starts you know the, the public has a right to know about this they find out about this we expect then and we were told that the guy had been arrested now what we know is his name's joseph marday he's 23 now he pleaded guilty to one count of attempted sexual intercourse without consent and connection to the shocking assault uh the um yeah, he was then given a three-year sentence, but that was suspended uh, as of Friday. So now he's been in jail since March 2021. And uh, so three-year sentence will be suspended as of Friday uh, by Justice Judith Kelly, who had also ordered him to return to the remote community of uh, Warwick, uh and not return to Darwin without the written approval of a probation officer. So he's now been sent can they, back. Can they do that? Uh, yeah, yeah, they do have the legislation. I remember somebody telling me about that last year, actually, and saying they could do that on a lot more instances. Right. And ban people from coming back to Darwin, but they aren't using yeah, it. Yeah. They're, they're loath to use this, but in this case, they are um, yep. with this guy. But look, uh, yeah, we don't, we don't want him in the community, but, you know, if he doesn't get the help that he needs here um what is the good of putting him out there i mean is he going 
yeah. to just run around that community sexually assaulting the children. And we've got issues there. Now, look, to be fair, Justice Judith Kelly did attach other conditions, um, including that he take part in sexual offender counseling, that he not contact anyone under the age of 16 without permission or supervision of an adult, uh, not consume or possess alcohol and report to a probation or parole officer. Uh, yeah. Now, what she said in some of these sentencing remarks uh, are we're just touching on. Um, she said, look, the victim was very young and vulnerable. He was playing in his own yard where he's entitled to be safe. Just as Judith Kelly said, I have to pass a sentence that lets everyone know how much the court and community disapproves of what you have done. Now, uh, a victim impact statement prepared by the toddler's mother stated he'd become clingy. Since the sexual assault gets upset if he's apart from his mother, she felt, uh, and, and Justice Kelly said this, she felt, the mother felt like the biggest failure of a mother for not protecting her baby and couldn't sleep without crying herself to sleep. She told the court, and, and that's, you can understand that. Yeah. Um, she said that Marday's psychiatric evaluations had determined that he was, quote, severely impaired intellectually. Uh, but had good family supports in place. Uh, Justice Kelly said, you've never been in any serious trouble with the law before. You have a strong family support and your family are shocked and upset by what you've done. You want to do the right things and your family supports you to do the right things. All of these things make me think that you should not spend any more time in prison. So suspended from Friday under those conditions that I've already gone over and... Um, you hope that this guy gets the help. I don't know. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. And putting him out in the community, man. You just wish you never had to talk about these sort of things. <sighs> yeah. Um, it's just mm. so shocking. So shocking. Yeah. So look, but that's what he's got now. Three years um, suspended after, what is it, a year and a half. Um, mm. And out to the community and not allowed back into Darwin. So cold comfort that, for everybody, I think. Is that usual that sentencing would take that long? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, and he ended up pleading guilty. So why did it? I, yeah, I'm not, yeah. not 100% on that. There must okay. have been some legal matters that they put in. But anyway, he was in jail the whole time. At least right. he wasn't running around the streets. Yeah, yeah. Usually yeah. would prepare for the courses here. But uh, yeah, yeah, anyway, like I said, I don't think anyone's going to be happy with this sentence overall, though. I don't think the community, I don't think it met community expectations in this case. Yeah, it's, uh, look, I, I can't comment for the length of time because I don't know, but um, as you said, you just hope that uh, the, the person gets the, the help they need and yeah. I, don't, I don't mind the, um, the being able to, you know, limit and restrict the areas where, where people such as this can travel to. Yeah, yeah, and of course, and again, we go to the victims and hope that they get the support that they need. Well, of how, course, I mean. How horrible for them, yeah. Yeah, anyway. All right, look, let's move on to the next story. And um, again, the files government um, and crime seem to go hand in hand. Uh, <laughs> at least this week they've announced some um, action plans for Alice Springs. Uh, what are they, Chris, and, and uh, how effective are they likely to be? You know, I'm just thinking that too. When you're when you're uh, verbalizing it like that, that I probably didn't uh, when we're editing, writing this thing is um, that's a crime action plan. It makes it sound like they're real superheroes. Yeah, they're yeah, jumping yeah, into does, action yeah. here. An actual uh, action plan. Yeah, just maybe for the residents of Alice Springs, a few years too late. Um, 
you know, things seemingly just keep getting worse down there. And mm-hmm. up here, I mean, up here is getting worse too, right? It and, is. Um, Absolutely is. Anyway, look, yeah, so we should have done that, yeah, with them and, and capes or just wearing their underwear over their clothes or something. And uh, Careful, Chris, so don't sure. get offended. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, they've announced, look, the Files government has announced a, quote, coordinated approach to tackle the ongoing Alice Springs crime crisis. Um, and again, as we say, after years of repeated cries for help from the community. Now, this is interesting, right? So we've talked about this. Kate Warden, the police minister, Files, the chief minister, they've been speaking publicly for weeks about what they were calling the social order response team. Mm-hmm. And they would do this when they go on radio and uh, ABC or Mix. And um, they kept talking about this and how uh, Territory Families Deputy Chief Executive Jeanette Kerr had been, um, you know, kind of spearheading this whole initiative down in Alice Springs. And um, and then there was speculation that she was trying to go for commissioner of police, which I think is probably still out there around somewhere. Uh, but anyway, they never got into specifics about what the sort as they're calling it, the SORT, Social Order Response Team. Um, No real details or specifics on what they were going to do exactly. Now, they did on Wednesday, they put that out, and they they finally said this officially now, I guess. Government said in a statement that SORT will will meet regularly to coordinate more efficient and effective use of government and government funded resources to achieve targeted social order outcomes for children, families, businesses, and the wider community. So I guess you make that what you will. Um, you're going to say we're going to target what's going on and we're going to fix crime. That's a clearer way. And then, and then yeah. they're going to meet regularly to coordinate more efficient and effective use of government and government-funded resources. Anyway, she said the first plan, Kate Warden, the police minister, first plan for Alice Springs was the range of measures to support the community. Those include uh, coordinating patrols. So okay. foot patrols by I've done that before or by, well, this is the question be like what what the hell have they been doing? Um, yeah. coordinating patrols, foot patrols by government, business, and community groups. So now everybody's you gotta be so now, bi- now business are out there stomping the footpath, aren't they trying to well, sort this out? It's like my god, that's really what it's become. I mean, I think some of them are sleeping in their businesses we've heard to protect. Um, really taking DIY to a new level. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and we don't even know why. Like, this is clearly a management issue. But um, look, anyway, so they so they coordinate these patrols. They're going to develop what they call a patrol strategy and a communication network. So I think you need a walkie-talkie for that. <laughs> if I've learned anything from my years doing security, it's uh, if you're yeah. doing a patrol, you better have a walkie-talkie. Yeah, absolutely. And a flashlight. And one of those Absolutely. big flashlights, one of those real massive. Ones. I saw a really good flashlight the other day advertised yeah. online. Mag. Um, it, it's like it's a mag light, but it's yeah. it's in the shape of a baseball bat, right? So it's, <laughs> it's got two purposes. They can probably get a deal. What were they spending on the rats and the rabbits? Oh yeah, COVID yeah. test. Just put yeah. just a portion of that money by. Yeah, that's it. Buy little Here's baseball a, bats for everybody. It's a baseball bat torch uh, combo deal Jeez. through. Your your favorite like torch retailer? I thought they were brilliant. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna get one of those, um, <laughs> and I'm gonna head down to Alice. Anyway, so <laughs> but it is such a problem down there. So look, they're gonna do this patrol strategy. They're constructing safety zones. They're calling them um, and improving lighting across the CBD. Yeah, targeting 
You can look at me all you want, Chris. I'm not even going to comment on that one because <laughs> if they haven't thought about lighting till now, then this plan's already dead and buried. Uh, and they'll also target public drinking and substance abuse. Uh, <laughs> and working to get business owners to support the no school, no service campaign. I can't imagine that's going to be difficult to get business owners on board with. Uh, anyway, they're reintroducing this apparently went away. It worked for a while and then they stopped and then they were just like, it's, I don't know, it doesn't make sense. Um, now, the government also pledged here behind the scenes, I guess, to have its agencies work with non-government organizations to target active outreach to illegal campers and rough sleepers provide better responses to youth from all departments involved and exploring new safety measures related to late night venues, including providing after hours bus services between the CBD and suburbs. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm not even sure how that's going to work, but Warden said the implementation council for the SORT will meet on Wednesday for the first time. The Implementation Council of sort is made up of representatives of Alice Springs Town Council, Chamber of Commerce, Aboriginal Corporation there, Tourism Central Australia, National Indigenous Australians Agencies, and the valued senior government officials from NT Police Territory Families and Department of Chief Minister. Working together collaboratively demonstrates ownership over the problems our community faces, Kate Warden said, while acknowledging that this cannot be solved by police alone. She said, right. Uh, yeah, so look, and then we get into some of the history here and how long uh, the community has been crying. You know, you've had people remember the mayor in way back. That was January. Yeah. Remember when the mayor, Matt Patterson, wrote letters to federal and territory political yes. leaders saying, we need help. Like, we are at the end of our rope here. Yeah. Um, people are living in their homes in fear every night. That, yep. that they're going to be broken into, they'll, they'll be physically or sexually assaulted. Like it, it's just like it's just crazy down there. Nothing mm -hmm. happened. Here we are going into November, um, and they've now launched this crime action plan. Uh, yeah, that's not going to be good enough yet. Lamley down there, we know she's been a big advocate for for trying to get this fixed, and for the people of Alice Springs. And mm -hmm. and now I see the NT News running today. Uh, Mayor Matt Patterson's radical idea. Lamley's been pushing the curfew for for over yep. a year here, a couple yep. of years, um, trying to get something saying that that will work. Uh, yeah, just all the horror stories. When you had, like I said, I think I said this last week or the week before, but. Um, when you, what was it, Tourism Central Australia coming out and saying the government's not doing enough? I mean, yeah. things are bad when these government-funded organizations are coming out to <laughs> announce the government. So, yes. yeah, and look, Kate Warden and, and Natasha Files saying that they've been working on this for a while. Uh, Files admitting last week that the, the crime, I, I don't think they still call it a crisis. Everyone else does. But the crime crisis is the biggest issue that's facing the territory. Um I don't think that they've won anyone over with this so far with what they've announced now. And to be fair, let's see what happens, but, but you got to give it a shot. Sure. But some of these measures seem like they should like, what the hell have been, they've been doing for the last six years. How did they let it get to this point? Is this enough? Does, I think a lot of people think probably, look, we, we give this a, a chance and see what happens, but something needs to happen immediately first and then bring in these measures, go in there and do a blitz Clean it up straight away. Do whatever you have to do. Clean it up mm -hmm. first, and then introduce these things. But they're just trying to mess around on the sidelines, it seems. Just kind of fiddle with things that haven't worked in the past anyway. 
Um, yep. and see what they can get out of it. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't think they're too happy in Alice Springs from what I heard today. Look, if I could just speak on behalf of the people of Alice Springs, which I have absolutely no qualification you to do. No right, sir. Yeah. No right, no qualification. Yeah. It's not, not my business. But look, Chris, uh, I think it's great that you showed a modicum of uh, optimism towards that. But could I give Labor a piece of advice? This is on behalf of the people of Alice Springs. Forget about your crime action plans. Forget about your strategies. Forget about your SORTs. Forget about all your bullshit Labor, you know, these stupid words and these catchphrases they use. Just do something. (laughs) People are scared out of their minds. Crime is out of control, and it, it, it literally it, it would be like living in a lawless state for people in Alice Springs at the moment. And all this, I mean, it's, it was only 12 months ago that we were talking about the fact that Labor was saying, oh, there's no issue, there's no problem. Yeah. <laughs> just, honestly, it's just yeah. farcical. Yeah, just do something. Fix this up for crying out loud. That's what I'm saying, and do it immediately. And they, they still don't seem to be hearing that. This is now you've got a public servant monkeying with things down there and saying this yeah, is going to work. I don't I don't see it. Um, I remember the good yeah, old I days. Think you're right. you, you used to hear about in Darwin in the good old days. Now people will say, oh, you can't do that in this day and age. Okay, whatever. But mm. when there used to be a big event on in Darwin to stop the embarrassment from all the people sleeping rough and homeless in the streets, this is what I was told when I first came there, and I can only believe it to be the case, is that the government at the time used to get buses and convince all of those people to go back to the communities they were from, right? Yeah. Pardon the crimes that they'd committed so they could go back to their community and go back to their people. Again, I'm not presuming to know the problems in Alice Springs, but they have got to do more than this absolute crap like you're talking about with they go and consult a public servant to sort it out. I mean, mm-hmm. as we well know, the previous chief minister only used to go to Alice Springs to cut cake for staff who were leaving <laughs> while this place was burning around him. But that's, that's not even a joke. You're absolutely. Uh, it's not a that's joke. That's true. Yeah, yeah that is absolutely fact. true, Pete. Yeah. It's I, just want, I just want listeners they, to know that's absolutely true. Yeah. Correct. And they had their blitz when he was going down there and they cleaned up the streets the week <laughs> before he was there. That's what I was just going to say. You were, you were headed there. And I thought, and I think we had said at the time, you know, because people were saying like, wow, when Gunner comes down here, did they really clean it up? Like he doesn't see any crime going on. Yes. And, and we thought like, well, we could just leave him down there if that would help you guys out. Um, so they know how to clean it up when, when, when the great emperor showed up here. Uh, yeah. They knew how to clean it up there. So clean it up now and then bring in this stuff and, and see if it works. Correct. But yeah, you need more. You need to do more and you need to do something immediately. And if you need new surveillance cameras, I think there's about 60 grand's worth of his place that you can use. So, you know. <laughs> That's right. And some lighting. I'm sure he's got lighting thrown in that hole. Exactly. Yeah, done. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll still be talking about this in a month now. Well, well, I hope we're not, but yeah, it feels like we will be. But jeepers creepers, let's get, just do something. These people in Alice have suffered enough. Anyway, let's move to the next story. And uh, key figures connected to the helicopter crash that killed the Outback Wrangler cast member revealed in court. Um, Tell us about that, Chris, because this seems to be getting... uh, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is... um you know, I think there's talk of vast conspiracies and um, 
Look, and I can tell you by the reads that we've had on this, and I'm sure that the other media have, um, it's uh, certainly captured people's imaginations or interest yep. here in the community because of, of everything that maybe is going on. And I think we, we last time we talked about this, or maybe it was even something else, but I think it was this one where I said, we don't even understand what the narrative is here. Like, what what are the police huh. alleging actually happened? I think we were talking about the the last yeah. helicopter pilot Burbage when he was charged a, a few weeks ago. Yeah. Um, so we know a little bit more now. Now Burbage was back in court. Now Burbage, of course, is the, uh, I believe he's 44, 44-year-old uh, helicopter pilot. He owns uh, Remote Helicopters Australia out there at East Arm by the Puma Station. Uh, anyway, yeah, he was arrested uh, last month for conspiracy to pervert the course of justice. Now, telling this story is kind of it's kind of difficult because you know, I was putting this together and I'm thinking, oh yeah, but you got to have this in. So we'll just say what happened in court. I'm not offering any theories here of anything. This is just kind of what happened in court yesterday. So yeah. Um, now, we know that this guy, Burbage, had been charged with perverting the, a, a conspiracy to pervert the course of justice in connection to the fatal helicopter crash, crash that killed OPEC Wrangler cast member Chris Willow Wilson. Uh, now, what had transpired at court yesterday was that he had shown up to get a variation of his bail. He wanted to be able to contact certain people. And then it came out that there were non-contact orders already in place for him. One wow. of the people in that order was... The celebrity crocodile wrangler himself, Matt Wright. Right. So now Matt Wright's been drawn into this officially that um, he's been told not to contact. Uh, now, what the prosecution said was that the names of other prominent territorians, these people were all inextricably linked to the incident. And it was the okay. first time that this has come out. Now, one of the other names to come out of this was mick burns now the the public okay. yeah and um the crocodile farmer um big time crocodile farmer i mean a prominent businessman mick burns who draws a lot of water in this town um he gets thrown into this now the uh burbage had asked um burbage, burbage has had asked the court to uh to amend his bail order so that he could travel interstate uh yeah um Ledick, steve Ledick was the crown prosecutor now he objected to those variations um say so told the court the witnesses and people connected to the crash were interstate particularly in queensland Ledick told the court well burbage was not quote and he said this he's not the main player or indeed a central player he is part of an overall matrix of individuals who have come together to obfuscate and to impede the proper investigation into the circumstances of that fatality being the, the helicopter crash in, in February. Now yeah. we need to ensure, he said that there is no further corruption or contamination of the evidence that presently exists. Now Burbage's lawyer, of course, argued against that saying that, um, well, he had argued that, that, that Burbage routinely worked interstate as an in-demand remote helicopter pilot and needed to travel interstate for work. Ledick said, while well, the Crown did not want to adversely affect his business, he was concerned the pilot would contact people connected to the investigation. Ledick attempted to have prominent Darwin businessman and crocodile farmer Mick Burns added to Burbage's no contact list. Um, so now that that's okay. So why are you doing that? Now, we know that 
and well, I'll answer that in a sec. We know that it was it was then revealed that um, that that list included Outback Wrangler star and NT Tourism poster boy Matt Wright, um, Pilots Jock Purcell and Morgan Wilder, uh, as well as Tim Johnson and police officer Neil Mellon. He's also facing charges over his alleged involvement in the crash incident. Yep. You know, he was there. Now, the court heard that the the. the McBurns was also at the site of the helicopter crash in February. <laughs> now, I know that this has been speculated about um, for a long time. This is the first time now in public court that this has been aired, this particular allegation. Um, Ledick said McBurns was there at the site. He provided no further information about Burns's involvement or what's alleged. Of course, we know that um, there were no allegations per se leveled of any wrongdoing from either McBurns or Matt Wright on this. Um, the application to prevent Burbage from contacting Burns was ultimately rejected by Judge Ben O'Loughlin, who ruled that Burbage may contact Burns in connection to the pair's ongoing work activities. However, Ledick uh, was successful at getting three more people added to Burbage's no contact list, including uh, Matt Wright's wife, Kaya Wright and Jai Tomlinson and Nick Fordham, who were in another helicopter collecting crocodile eggs the day of the crash, these other two blokes. Uh, O'Loughlin ruled other individuals involved, including another pilot, Ty Richardson and Tim Luck, who were also both on another helicopter. Remember, there were three that went out that day. Yeah. Um, they would, uh, would not be added to Burbage's no contact list, despite the prosecution's objections. Uh, prosecutors said they're all inextricably linked to the events of that day. Uh, they saw certain things. They are witnesses to some of the events that Burbage has been engaged in. Um, now, like I said, no allegations that Wright Burns or any other person that was just named in court committed any offense, with the exception, of course, of uh, former anti-police officer Neil Mellon, who we understand has resigned. Uh, now, he's facing more than 30 charges in connection to this, including similar kind of perverting the course of justice, unlawfully access, accessing data, obtaining benefit by, by deception, and disclosing confidential information. Now, he was also up in court on Wednesday, incidentally, uh, and uh, uh, forced to surrender his passport. He was getting his bail amended so he could travel interstate as well. Um yeah. And then we do, you know, it, it's just very strange. But and, and just so we're caught up on that, of course, uh, Chris Willow Wilson was killed in February when the helicopter he was reportedly suspended from while collecting crocodile eggs crashed near King River in East Arnhem Land. Pilot Sebastian Robinson seriously injured in that crash, but survived. The circumstances around the ca crash are currently under investigation by the Australian Transport Safety Bureau. Now, they said previously that uh, it anticipates, the ATSB anticipates its final report into the helicopter crash will be published by the end of the year. Um, and now these two guys, Mellon and Burbage, they'll be back in court next month. Um, but that ATSB report is going to be very interesting. So if we get yeah. to see that by the end of the year, we might have a general idea of what's being alleged here because we still don't know the whole narrative except that no. something happened that day. We now know McBurns was there. It's implied Wright was there. It's implied that these guys had showed up when who knows why, for what purpose, and that they're not telling us. So um, it, it seems like, yeah, anyway, we'll just see what happens. And I, I won't comment or speculate on any further charges for anybody or what might happen. But um, 
yeah, I know that everybody's very much interested in this, and we'll see where yeah, it goes. Absolutely. It's, it's funny. As soon as I talk to people about, you know, spending time in the Northern Territory, it's literally one of the first things that come up. Um, people will say, oh, do you know Matt Wright? I say, well, I know who he is. <laughs> and, and like, uh, that's the thing. Like, I, I don't know the show. I've never watched it. Yeah, I don't care yeah. about it. Um, yeah. It's not my thing. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I saw it, like, the other day. It was, like, number three on Netflix. Yeah. This new season. People love it. And people I'm like, wait, is this just it. in Darwin or is this, like, around the country? No, this is, yeah. yeah this anyways. Is big so. time. Yeah, anyway. that's the interest. But yeah, and there's a lot more clearly to come out about all of this and who's involved and who did what. So, or allegedly, anyway. So we'll see. Quite a drama this season. All right. Well, let's see. Uh, yeah, we'll see how it <laughs> unfolds further in, in the updates. Now, um, looking at the next story, this is also one that we've been talking about for a while. And um, the, um, the Kumanjai Walker coronial inquiry goes on. Now, the coroner has rejected calls for other senior police officers' phones to be checked for racist comments after, uh, obviously, we know that um, Constable Zach Rolfe's phone was uh, found to have racist comments on it. So, uh, obviously, people are wanting to dig further, are they, Chris? <laughs> yeah, well, and this is it, and this is where this gets very interesting because um, the the calls are not so much – the call to investigate further text messages is kind of not what you think. It's one of the uh, the IRT members who was caught up in this. Uh, and now he's the guy who was actually in charge, Lee Bowens. So Lee Bowens, Sergeant Lee Bowens, had uh, he called for um, the coroner to obtain text messages from other senior officers that he said would make the evidence more representative of the anti-police force and examining how, how widespread systemic racism is in the anti-police. Now, of course, we get in, we, we know those famous text messages. So Bowens was the sergeant, one of the sergeants that, that exchanged messages. Um, you know, it's, it's very interesting that, that this had come to this because you get this sense that you know, the coroner wants to, and she said this, examine systemic racism inside the anti-police. But it seems that she's capped it at only the IRT, the immediate response <laughs> team. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you're looking at systemic racism, well, then look at systemic racism. And and he's saying, like, how does how does the rest of the anti-police force? And I get, look, the argument would be that she's not doing a, an inquest into or an inquiry, let's say, like a royal commission into everything police. But how are you going to say that it stops at the sergeant um, in charge of IRT when there, this stuff like it goes there? It just is all contained in IRT, right? Yeah. Police. So what Balance is saying is, look, you, you've shared, shared these messages. We don't think they're, they're legally obtained. She had already said before she doesn't care. Um <laughs> and so he's saying I'm above the law. Yeah, he, he's basically saying, look at other senior officers here because you'll get a better sense and a wider scope of maybe how systemic some issues here are. Now she rejects that. Oh, right. And um she she says no, she won't be doing that. Uh she said the inquest, while it would be exploring the role of systemic racism. Uh, and its role in the death of Kumanjai Walker. She rejected the call to search any other phones. She said obtaining other officers' messages may not be lawful. 
and suggested that while Bowens appeared to hold overtly racist attitudes, checking others' phones was not necessary. In my view, the principal relevant of, relevance of Sergeant Bowen's text message is, is not that they are prima facie evidence of systemic racism within the, within the police force, she wrote. The principal relevance of Sergeant Bowen's text message is that they are prima facie evidence that Sergeant Bowen's held overtly racist attitudes and, and that he expressed these views to his subordinates in the IRT when discussing the work of the IRT. So, I mean, wow. she's, she's got, just... She's got him in the barrel? Yeah, yeah. Um, wow. No. Yeah. They're, unusual, they're, Chris? Uh, yeah, look, I haven't seen... I mean, he hasn't even testified yet. <laughs> she's already <laughs> saying, like, it's clear to me he's a racist and... Uh, there it we doesn't go. prove systemic racism in the police yeah. force anyway. Just if one person has shown those tendencies. She pointed to a text message, which is interesting, which Bowen's... And this is all public. This is out there... Yeah. Um, you know, this came out and it's all in a decision that she published the other day. Uh, she pointed to one text in which Bowens, uh, used the phrase. Well, it was, a, it was about, um, I won't get into that, but they were discussing, he and Rolf were discussing the shortcomings and the failures of Bush cops. And he okay. used another word instead of cops, Bush C word. Okay. Um, which she said, and that's offensive. But then Rolf had responded with Bush cops. It seems like maybe that wasn't what he implied. Right. Anyway, she said. Could have, could have been spell check. <laughs> yeah, but then is he writing this other word? How often? And anyway, look, I won't, I won't make comment on that. But what she wrote, the, and this goes further here, and this is where. She, yeah, anyway, look, I'll just read this to you. This is from her, her, um, her decision. In my view. There is a potential nexus between Sergeant Bowen's conduct and the circumstances of Kumanjai Walker's death, she wrote. She's going that far now. Now, wow. Bowen's was the officer in charge of our, he was, he was on leave that week yeah. that, that this happened. Yeah. But she says Sergeant Bowen's was the officer in charge of the IRT. It might be thought that he was or ought to have been responsible for establishing discipline and a working culture within the IRT. Um, so she says, uh, I, it is unnecessary for me to consider Sergeant Bowen's suggestion that I should obtain an apparently random sample of cell phones and records to make the evidence more representative of the anti-police force in order to better conduct an abstract examination of systemic racism within the police force. I doubt very much that this would be lawful. She said that, uh, she was looking into how cultural bias played a role in Walker's death not the overall racist attitudes in the anti-police. What I'm considering, she said, is whether any discriminatory attitude, systemic racism and or cultural bias, as is evidenced by these text messages, may have been involved in or made more likely Kumanjai Walker's death. So, and then she says again that now, so she leaves that and she says, okay, well, this, we're just all focused on IRT. We're going to keep it here. She then <laughs> says um, that this guy, uh, a Sergeant Paul Kirkby, not to be confused with the minister, yeah. Paul Kirby, but this guy, yeah. Sergeant Paul Kirkby, now he was a senior officer sergeant yeah, at the Alice Springs station and had directly supervised Constable Rolf. Uh, he was not a member of the IRT and not involved in the operation to arrest Walker. He had also objected to his messages being used at the inquest. Armitage acknowledged that while he was not in the IRT, 
which you just said, this is all about how racist they are. His messages were still of value to the inquest and that there, quote, may well be a nexus between Sergeant Kirkby's conduct and the circumstances of Kumanjai Walker's death. Wow. I don't know how she's drawn these connections. Armitage added that some of Kirkby's text messages, quote, may suggest that Sergeant Kirkby expressed or tolerated racism, homophobia, misogyny, or contempt for senior police officers and community police. She then referenced a, an exchange between uh, Kirkby and Rolf from September 2019, two months before the uh, UNMO incident, um, where, where, yeah, they, they, they exchanged. And it's just a stupid kind of comment. I don't know if you read that, Pete, but it's just like, two guys talking about what they're dealing with. Anyway, Armitage uh, suggested Kirkby may have tolerated or encouraged dishonesty by Rolf and had reviewed his previous use of force incidents. For these reasons, I do not accept Sergeant Kirkby's submission that his conduct could not be indirectly relevant to the circumstances of Mr. Walker's death. Jeez, yeah. So, So she's looking at all of this, but she won't expand that out to maybe the next level up. I mean, yep. why is she not even looking at Jody Nobbs's or Travis Worst or mm. Michael Murphy, any of these guys who are above them who are ordering things who they just said, nah, look, this it's unacceptable what these guys said. Well, what are they saying? I mean, where does this actually start? Where does the systemic racism start? It doesn't yeah. start in this one unit and be contained to this one unit. This is yeah. clearly a bigger issue, but she's saying, no, it's one unit. But then she says, oh, but I'll bring in this other guy who's not in the unit and we'll explore him a bit more, but I'm not going to go to anyone else. So, yeah, there's some questions there on exactly Seems what's going on. inconsistent, isn't it? It really does. You know, the other thing, and I, you know, we don't have the resources, as I said before, to report on this, like on a day-to-day basis. Yep. But there are times when we can see things like that day, this wasn't really reported on this angle of it. It was more... Oh, Zach Rolf lied on his application to police. That was yeah. the big story of the day. And it was like, well, you guys are finally catching up to us because we published this six weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, and we have a whole story about everything and about the allegations of the um, antidepressant that he was on and how he did and how he wasn't truthful and upfront mm-hmm. um, on his application. And in fact, how we probably shouldn't be there. But um, anyway, but so. Given, but given that your cops and didn't find that out yourselves, then uh, maybe, you know. You know how it works? Yeah, well, exactly. And that's what they need to be looking at is their own recruitment processes. But something tells me they won't be doing that, that they'll just be looking (laughs) at how Zach Rolf must have lied and deceived everybody and tricked them all. You know, they even brought up something about And no one's ever done that on an application before, have they, Chris? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) One of the other odd things they brought up and was reported was that uh, they said that he and his father had a a disagreement at times or something. Therefore... He's clearly doesn't Therefore, like authority. He lied on his application. Yeah, and he and he's got authority issues. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, wait, a son had a disagreement with his father. Yeah. Like, oh, I, man, that's I read that and thought, geez, I'm in trouble in about twenty years time when, <laughs> yeah. my, when my three boys are out in the world. Yeah, in the exactly. world. That's just going to happen. I thought exactly the same thing. I mean, you can draw a line between anything if you really want to, yeah. because you know it is what it is. But uh, it's funny. Like I, I'm not. I'm not suggesting that we should be laughing about the fact that someone's lied on an application, and then it's oh, eventually, <laughs> you know, some, something as terrible as this has happened. But in the world of um, in the world of sales, 
that it's a bit of a badge of honour if you can lie on an application and get the job because it means you've done your job, right, as a salesperson. So you'd think that the recruitment processes were a little bit more stringent than five years later saying, oh, well, he lied on his application, so that's on him, not on us. (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) Uh, But this is it, right? Let's get back into the police academy here. Let's not forget that and how (laughs) poorly organized that was. And and that better come up in this too because you still got this clown, Andrew Barron, running around where the the coroner said, well, well, he found that the – the Rolf had excessive use of force. And it's like, yeah, but he trained him. He taught him that knife equals gun. And then he went and lied yeah. about it and said, no, knife doesn't equal gun. But he also got all this pressure put on Baron. Anyway, all of this stuff needs to get in a, in a will, and I'm sure it will. So mm. um, we'll just see what happens next. But it's good when we when we get an opportunity, and I like doing that, just going through a decision and saying, okay, the public yeah. does need to know about this. Here's what she's saying. Yeah, let the public make up their mind on it. Yeah. And they can criticize if they want to criticize, criticize it because she's exactly. not God. She's not God. I know yeah. everybody's afraid I can't criticize the judge or coroner. No, you very much will, Ken. We live in a free country. Go ahead and criticize. <laughs> and send those criticisms to Chris at <laughs> NT Independent. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. God knows yeah. I think I am getting those. But, um, yeah, you know, and that's just how it is. But I saw something. There was something. There was a story at ABC said uh, uh, it was a story about a, a, a mining company contaminating a river, and they they went to court. They pleaded guilty. They what? got fined. It's never happened. A mining <laughs> company. What? So they got fined like three hundred forty four thousand, I think. And so we ran the story, and ABC run the story. But ABC put up on their thing. They said uh, on Facebook, they said we have closed comments as the matter is currently before the courts. <laughs> and so I'm like, yeah, no, it's not. It's, it's closed. Now it's that done. there's a decision, it's they, not they've before pleaded guilty. They've been <laughs> sentenced. It's not before the courts. So I went on our Facebook page and I wrote, as this matter is not currently before the courts. And we don't know how anyone could think that it was because it clearly was done. And yeah. the plea made, there's a decision and a judgment. The sentencing done. Um, yeah. Go, go your hardest. Yeah. You say what you want. Comments are wide open. I have no idea why ABC would restrict comments on that. It's just stupid. So, yeah, we got to let people have their say on things. And um, this is certainly one of them. Now, don't go too far. There are still parameters, which, you know, we're responsible Mm -hmm. for things when it's published on our page. We try to monitor. If we can't monitor, we cut them off. And we have to just for legal reasons. People say stupid stuff, believe it or not, Pete. Stupid, stupid Uh, stuff. Well aware, Chris. I'm well aware. (laughs) Yeah. As uh, as far as Gump once said, stupid is as stupid does. <laughs> <Absolutely. laughs> yep. All right. Well, it's fitting that you would talk about a uh, mining company, Chris, because we're going to do the same now. And the next story uh, features Santos. Now, this comes uh, during a week when <laughs> sporting organisations around Australia have decided. Sorry, I won't say that. The the uh, sports men and women around the country have decided that they no longer want to be sponsored by companies that don't fit with them ethically. Mm. So as a result, um, Santos have now pulled their Darwin Festival funding after a campaign by environmentalists. Yeah, that's right. Ours and uh, Indigenous leaders, too, have uh, teamed up here and put pressure on everybody here to reject, first off, the, the funding that Santos had provided. And I believe it was like last June that this kind of came up for the first Mm. time, really. And um, everybody's saying, okay, well, we've got to get this thing done and we'll we'll go and review this. 
Now, and the way that this is sometimes getting portrayed, it's like, oh, I think I saw people today saying, oh, that's just like Santos to pull their fund and they don't give a damn. How about that? It's like, whoa, guys, like, it's the reason that they've done this is because, yeah, because of this concerted campaign. Um, now the coalition of also this coalition of environment, environmentalists and traditional owners called Fossil Free Arts NT had come forward and offered the festival's board about $200,000 over the next two years in alternative funding on the condition that it ended sponsorship agreement with the energy company. Uh, however, it was not disclosed how much Santos had actually been paying the festival. And, you know, just so everybody remembers, the festival was nearly canceled in 2016 after the board posted huge deficits and saw yeah. government bailouts to survive. So we don't know. I mean, it's fine to say, oh, we'll offer them 200000 Well, I was looking that up, you know, back in 2016, there were 350 in deficit that year and saying right. that this, this might not go ahead. We owe 350. So, yeah, I mean, we don't know the actual financing and funding of all that, at least not right now. It's easy to get and we'll get that if necessary. Um, but what had happened then? So, you know, and then the pressure was really on them, on the board, the festival board, I guess, not to accept or to end this um, sponsorship deal. So, Santos said, okay, we've heard about this new offer, your alternative sponsorship options. Um, this is in a letter that Santos sent the board on Tuesday afternoon, confirming it would not be providing funding for next year's festival. As we understand it, the letter said the board now has alternative sponsorship options for the Darwin Festival, which has not been the case in previous years. As such, Santos advises that it will not be seeking to renew or extend the sponsorship contract beyond the current term, which expires on December 31st. Uh, so, yeah, so that's it. The money, their money's gone. The festival released a statement Tuesday night thanking the company for its support. Um, they want to support them for their support over, thank them for their support over the years, especially for supporting the opening night concert um, and a free, providing territorians with a free night of entertainment to kick off the festival each year. Uh, this didn't kind of stop, and that's not over either. So Fossil Free Arts NT spokeswoman Anna Weeks said in a statement that Santos pulling its funding was a huge win for traditional owners. That that was like, I, I heard that statement right on ABC, and I was like, yeah, that's a little strange, some of it. Um, and that the company's attempts to greenwash its gas projects no longer wash with artists, audiences, or the wider community. It's now time for Darwin Festival. This is where she goes a step further to show leadership, make a clear commitment to end all ties with fossil fuel money and develop an ethical sponsorship policy. But she also called for the board to, to I guess, uh, sack some of them. It's also time for a shakeup of the current board, she said, which has allowed these risks to our festival to persist for so long with more artists and cultural workers appointed to engage and listen to our communities and our sector, I guess there should be, uh, she's calling for. But when we get back into this, like you do that though, you're gonna have the, 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 the festival is not gonna be able to operate. In 2016, it was nearly canceled. We're in a $343,000 deficit the year before, claiming it could not go ahead without uh, additional government investment. The board was later financially bailed out by the NT government that year so that the project or the festival could go on. We're looking at like, you know, what she said, oh, we just need a we, we you know, a bunch of hippies, she said, we just need a bunch of hippies to come in and run this place. And it's like, well, you're not going to have the same festival, though. Like, there needs to be balance here. There needs to be yeah. give and take on things. They clearly have had issues before with how they're organized and how they manage things. So, 
yeah, to think that, okay, let's just sack the whole board, bring in our friends, whoever we want, um, who aren't going to, yeah, look, I, it's just, it, that's going to end in problems. As I can see this ending very much with problems for everybody involved. It does sound like it. I mean, the price of the mung bean has gone up this year, but <laughs> the mung bean sponsorship dollars only go so far. <laughs> that's it, Pete. And, um, yeah, and they're going to need that money. So it's going to be interesting, though, um, and, and what the board does, I guess, next. But, yeah, we're at this place here and i think owen had made that point that um well you know are they gonna ban the anti-government's funding now because the anti-government it's like a middleman they're, they're the ones who are out there helping these uh petroleum companies oil and gas companies to um to, to bring in everything yeah. they, they sponsor them they set them up they enable them they collect taxes well, from them and, and then the they previous... turn around and, and give it to them but they put it under the anti-government name yeah. and that's that's okay but you got santos's name on the same money well now that's that's ugly to us well, so there's gonna be yeah. you lose some money here um we'll see how how far that goes it's interesting isn't it i mean you know we we talked a bit earlier about the fact that um a lot of the sports players are, are now you know wanting their boards and bodies to seek ethical sponsorship and that's fine but uh that also comes at a potential cost because you know just because they're against uh mining dollars for example which is which is you know what a lot of this is now being about mm -hmm. um yeah there was an example given and I, I won't sort of um mention the person but you can figure it out by googling it but uh, you know, dead against having a uh, an energy sponsor for a sports team, but mm -hmm. had a personal sponsor who'd actually been charged and convicted of slave labour. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like <laughs> yeah, what's, yeah. What's your uh, what's your personal scale of acceptability? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I think everybody's got to ask these questions. And I look, I don't think this is anything new. I think that that everybody's asked these questions before it all seems to come yeah. up a lot now but maybe they're making different decisions now than last time than, than earlier but yeah you know if you want your thing to function you're gonna have to find a balance here because yeah and, and just the darwin festivals being that example is that it's had financial difficulties before if it starts losing these big time funders correct what happens does it continue or not and are they prepared for that i don't know i don't think they correct. are correct and it's not so simple for organizations such as that to get sponsorship because mm -hmm. there are you know i hate to say it but there are so many of those types of things around so mm -hmm. anyway we'll we'll um we'll, you know you'll keep us up to date and we'll see what how it plays out from here yeah for sure we, we talked earlier about the police academy and um you know i felt it was appropriate that we use this as our Final story for this episode, Chris, because um, it's been revealed that a public servant academy is set to open <laughs> in Darwin. I'd give a fanfare right now if we had the rights to use one. Ta -da -da -da. We're also very excited. Uh, yeah, it's been it's something here. Um, well, I cannot think of a better place than Darwin to have a public servant academy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Look, with CDU's building a brand new campus, they've got to fill it with somebody. They don't have any actual real students anymore. It's all online. So anyway, this, this is through <laughs> CDU. Um, now what this is exactly it is, it's a, it's an Australian. It's a federal public service academy. 
that will enable students and locals to obtain employment and training uh, for work in the federal public service while remaining in the NT. So how this will work now, there's 300 slots are open to Darwin residents and I suppose NT wanting a career change or to boost their skills uh, with skills in data and digital roles in the Australian public service, including paid apprenticeships, cadetships, and internships with graduate placements to follow in 2024. The CPSU, of course, welcomed the announcement. Uh, the Academy will be located at CDU, slated to open in mid-2023 to provide vocational education training courses while working as APS employees, public service federally, as well as degrees, the government said. So now public Minister for Public Service, Katie Gallagher, said, uh, like the pub private sector, the Australian public service is struggling to find enough people with the technical skills to fill roles in the data and digital space. But this academy program is the latest positive step in the right direction to deal with this issue and to ultimately keep those workers in the public service. Uh, so programs will include short-term internships, to one to three year appointments where students earn as they learn. There you go. I love it. All the while up. remaining in their community. Um, so these, of course, the CPU, CPSU has come out saying these new jobs and opportunities in the territory are welcomed after years of the coalition government's cuts to, to the Australian public service jobs and services uh, here. Uh, and that is true. We do recall when yep. they did shut an office here. Hundreds of APS jobs have disappeared from the NT in the past 10 years, uh, Kay Densley said, along with the services we need and deserve. So, yeah, now this will go through CDU who's partnered with the federal government, they say they partnered, um, to deliver jobs and digital opportunities in Darwin to ensure the territories have access to data and digital employment opportunities without having to leave the territory. Uh, Luke Gosling said he was expecting many would take up this uh, opportunity and grow the program. Uh, I look forward to seeing the gains that will come from allowing locals to study and undertake secure work for the APS right here at home in the top end. There are also academy campuses, they're calling it, uh, located at University of Newcastle, James Cook University in Townsville, and the University of Tasmania in Launceston. So, wow. So, yeah. right, we're going to uh, earn while we learn. Learn while we earn. <laughs> Something, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like I don't know where the, you apply. Do you apply to the APS or do you apply to CDU to get in there? I don't know. Some of this isn't clear to me exactly, but they're talking like 300 positions. So I guess that's jobs or is that openings in the class? So again, that's not clear. So yeah. we'll see what actually goes on here. But um, anyway, well, if you want to upskill, I guess they're saying get a digital thing, work in the Australian public service, that those opportunities are now back in Darwin. And I suppose they weren't for a while. And this is a public service town. So why the hell not? And I'm surprised you missed this opportunity, Chris, but it's going to deliver jobs, jobs, jobs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, I don't, yeah, no, uh, Gosling was taking this one. So Mano and the, oh, of uh, course. the NT crowd, they can yeah. sit on the sidelines of this. It's Luke's yeah. time to shine. Took so, a step back. Well, it's yeah. funny because uh, I've got some, Job files for us this week, Chris. <laughs> and uh, on the okay. job files this week, I happened to pick out three jobs that came across my desk and I was intrigued because it seems that marketing and communications jobs 
which are largely digital these days, so fits in perfectly in line with what you were just talking about. We've got CDU offering a media and communications manager job, which is paying between $119,000 and $132,000 with 17% super and six weeks annual leave. Oh, my God. (laughs) We've we've got Daniela Dilber offering a marketing and communications manager job, paying between $103,000 and $110,000. And then we've got the Bachelor Institute offering a marketing and communications officer job, paying between $95,000 to $107,000. Now, when you look at that, um, it's intriguing how much the government and semi-government organisations are offering. I know Danila Dilber is not a – I guess they're an NGO, aren't they? Yeah, and publicly funded, though. Yeah, right. (laughs) What's also interesting is there's a web manager's job going at CDU paying between $96,000 and $119,000. And if you look at the media and communications manager's role, which starts at $119,000, there's a real crossover there. And one's a senior manager and one's a basically a web designer, no offense, because obviously, you know, that takes a lot of skill as well. But mm. it seems to me that the salaries are so out of whack that, yeah. you know, like we've said in the past, the, the, the private sector can't, just cannot compete. No, no, no. and it's going to throw everything out of whack. Well, I think it already has really here economically and like this doesn't make sense just doesn't make sense anymore um and good luck with bachelor like geez anyway we didn't get into that story we'll have to talk about that there's going to be more on that but the icac had given 27 recommendations but didn't actually didn't actually talk to one of the whistleblowers who was saying here's what's going on here and he's like i don't need to talk to you um (laughs) so yeah like bachelor yeah they're offering a lot of money to get anybody i think there and that's just for survival i guess these other yeah these other ngo or these jobs yeah it's just getting ridiculous isn't it some of it but i guess you know they're trying to attract people and they figured money's just everything money's going to be what gets them some and yeah. Yeah, they they are trying to attract them, and yes, they're, they're offering, you know, for those roles comparing to other markets, mm. they're offering, you know, a lot, lot more. Um, but it's funny, you mentioned um, Bachelor Institute, and you, you see the same roles advertised, if not the same roles, very similar roles advertised, you know, constantly. Mm. So I don't know whether they're permanently recruiting or whether there's a, a high turnover. <laughs> yeah, good, good point. Good, good. Yeah, I wouldn't even know the answer to that. It could be either one. <laughs> it yeah. seems to be so poorly managed. Um, anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll know more about that soon. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, no, I like, yeah, when we talk about this public service academy coming, but yeah. really anybody who's, who's like born and raised in Darwin, greater Darwin region, really the NT overall, it's a pretty good shot of getting a public service job that pays extremely well and higher than anyone else. Yeah. Than, like other parts around the country because they're yep. here and you can't get people to come sometimes. So the actual right. locals 
I probably have a lot of really good opportunities here. Do they still pay them the relocation packages? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, for, for <laughs> remote living allowances. <laughs> don't know. <laughs> anyway, yeah. yeah, that's not going to change anytime soon. I don't think Pete with the no, roles right. that much. Yeah. Look, of the nine stories we did for this episode, there's um, probably at least three or four of them that are uh, still more to come. So I yes. guess we'll look forward with beta breath. <laughs> Absolutely. Right, uh, thanks, Chris. As a ple- it's been a pleasure as always. We'll catch you next week. Great. Thanks, Pete. We'll see you then. That was Chris Walsh from the NT Independent Online Newspaper. Weekends with Walsh, you back again next week on the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition. We'll catch you then. You've been listening to the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan Nathan and Peter Gowers. For more episodes, search Territory Story Podcast on all leading podcasting platforms or go to territorystory.com. The Territory Story Podcast. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency.